0: Welcome to the FruitNet.com audio edition. Hello, my name is Martin Fisher and I am the news and online editor at the Fresh Produce Journal. I'm joined here by my colleague Nina Paulman, features editor at FPJ, this year's Fruit Focus event in Kent. Nina, what have you found out today? What have you learned?
1: Well, um, so today's been, today's been good. Yeah, really interesting. I, uh, I went to one of the forums this morning. Um, I went to the one by Beth Hart, who is the Sainsbury's head of technical. And uh, she gave a really interesting talk, actually. She was saying about how Sainsbury's are raising the bar on quality, which, uh, you know, sounded fairly, you know, typical um, at first glance, but actually turns out to be quite a comprehensive overhaul of Sainsbury's specifications. Um, so who knows what, what that will actually mean for suppliers. But she, she sounded like she was saying that, um, you know, specifications are going to be quite a lot stricter on quality. Um, you know, Sainsbury's obviously competing in a very difficult uh, environment, as all the retailers are. And mm-hmm. their new strategy, um, Beth was saying, um, you know, since Mike Coop's been in, their new strategy is to, you know, f- refocus on the customer. And the way they're doing that is is by improving the quality. Um, so, so for suppliers, that seems to mean, you know, an increased focus on specifications. She wants to sort of step back, look at the whole fixture uh, on what, what's on the shelf, and and basically, you know, make sure the product is meeting the needs of the, the customer. Um, so, yeah, that that was fairly interesting, and I'm sure, you know, Sainsbury's suppliers are, are already already aware of this. Um, yeah, it's quite quite a big quite a big job. And the other thing that came up was um, the issue of customer complaints. Um, Hart was pointing out that they get a lot of complaints this time of year, you know, various things to do with um, strawberry quality. Um, and, yeah, it was, it was interesting because Chris Hartfield, the NFU, um, the, the NFU representative who's chairing the session, uh, he, he actually made a good point. He asked her whether um, customers are aware that um, the suppliers get fined um, if a customer's given a complaint um And she said no they, they weren't aware of that and and she also said that they are currently under investigation by the groceries code adjudicator for this issue so it's obviously an ongoing issue. she couldn't say anything else about it um but they she said there would be an announcement in the upcoming weeks um about this so yeah that, that was a, that was an interesting point, and she wouldn't elaborate on that topic she wouldn't say how much suppliers get fined and whether that um whether that's different across different categories or products. Um, But, yeah, it should be an interesting one to follow, I think.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Conservatives in their manifesto before the election, they promised a backer all the way, and so if Christine goes to them and says, you know, I want to do this, I want to do that, I want to increase the areas that I cover, then you can imagine more cases like this possibly coming to the fore. Yeah. um, And this could really set a precedent. Yeah, definitely. I guess.
1: Yeah, and it's uh, only good news. I I know I was speaking to somebody else from the NFU after the forum, and... um, you know, she was saying about how it can—you know—it's not—it's not a huge fine, but it is fairly significant, and it's not across the board. It's not not all retailers have this fine, so obviously that, thats an area that needs to be looked at, and that—that um, that seems to be what's happening.
0: Yes, yeah, absolutely. We, we we started the day off today, fruit focus early. It's been very windy, but dry nonetheless. Um, with a with a meeting with berry gardens where we make some very very big berries. They um, were enormous. <laughs> which, is, which is good to see. They tasted beautiful as well, but the, the, the size was the most um, compelling, sort of striking feature of them. I then followed that by, I attended a uh, presentation similar to the one Nina attended, involving Manette Batters from the NFU and Ali Kappa, who was also from the, uh, the NFU. And their message in, in, in separate presentations very much was about boosting consumption. Um, they both spoke very passionately, one of the things as well that uh, Manette mentions was the government's George Eustace Liz trust, have sort of emphasised increasing British exports on fresh produce and food items, but their concern, the NFU's concern, is more uh, cutting the number of imports and increasing increasing uh, British self-sufficiency. And Ali Kapp thinks more can be done to encourage children to, to eat more fresh produce, and who knows, bigger berries that are very striking could, uh, could be the thing that... Uh, That that, that pushes children into eating more fresh produce again.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um,
0: Another key topic as well. I don't know if you've found this today. Has been people discussing the national living wage, which Mm -hmm. was announced by George Osborne uh, a week and a half ago in his budget.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Um, People, people very concerned about that. Mm -hmm. The knock-on effects. um, You know, seeing it in context as well with the. Mm With uh, the exchange rate as it is at the moment and stuff.
1: Yeah, everywhere you go, people are talking about that. And uh, again, with the with the berry size, that was a point that Nick made this morning. And um, you know, obviously, the larger the berry, it's a, it's interesting that these large berries are coming through at this time because that obviously increases um, picking speeds, which mm-hmm. in turn cuts labour costs. So yeah, that's the kind of thing um, growers will be looking to do now. Um, you know, that they're going to have increased labour costs from this national living wage, and um, larger berries is a way of potentially countering that
0: yeah that's no, very interesting because a lot of people have mentioned that this could lead to an increase in mechanisation and the number of machinery used to um, what well, in place of workers to pick crops which sort of ultimately defeats the object to bring in a national living wage if no one's got a job because the government has brought in this thing that means <laughs> companies don't yeah, want to employ them true. Um, so, yeah, maybe bigger bigger fruits of the way to, to go to actually keep keeping people in this country and work yeah. with the, the scrapping of sores and so on as well. Also at the event today, uh, George Eustace was uh, was wandering around. He sat down with, with FPJ, my, myself, Martin Fisher. Here's what we chatted about. Yeah, so from the businesses you've spoken to today, what have been the key take-home messages for you?
2: I think there's sort of three things that have come out uh, for me today and bear in mind I've worked in the horticultural industry myself for 10 years in the soft fruit sector so I'm familiar with, um, with a lot of the challenges. But I know there's a bit of concern around the new national living wage that's been raised uh, by a number with me. Um, I know that this year, with the exchange rates being what they are, this is a competitive uh, industry across Europe. There is some sort of downward pressure on prices, and that's causing a little bit of concern as well. Uh, But on the positive side, I think some really um, innovative ideas in the field of, uh, of technology. And so some discussions about how we can make it easier uh, for off-label approvals or minor uses approvals in the horticulture sector, which I think are really important, and whether we can uh, work more collaboratively with other competent authorities in other EU member states to um, ensure that we can process those minor uses, uh, minor use authorizations more quickly. It's something I'm quite interested in pursuing. Mm-hmm.
0: Going back to one of your first points about the national living wage, what would you say to businesses who've got fears over this that's coming in next year? I think
2: the two things I'd say is that the national living wage is only going to apply to people over 25. So the first thing is uh, quite a lot of the temporary casual labour in horticulture is uh, is student labour, and so uh, it doesn't apply uh, in that case. Um, And the other thing is, um, the, the reality is that people who are... Uh, in the sector, many of them would, would be learning, earning well above the national minimum wage at the moment. So um, I think it's, it's wrong to suggest that people who work in this sector, even on a temporary or casual basis, are not earning um, uh, you know, good good salaries. At the moment, you're getting quite a lot, particularly on peace rates. If they're good at it, they actually find that they can earn quite high wages. So I think it's a, it's a concern that I've, I've heard, and so um, I'm going to reflect on. But I, do, um, I think that fundamentally... Um, the, the, the approach is right you know, what, what George Osborne is trying to do is to get to a system where rather than taxing companies lots of money, underpaying staff and then paying those staff tax credits by government in a, uh, a very convoluted um, money go round it's better to try to evolve to a situation where you're not taxing the companies in the first place so they keep more of their money but expect them to pay their staff enough to live on and then don't tax those staff as much and don't give them their money back uh, through tax credits so <clears throat> we've ended up with a very very complicated system that's got lots of uh, you know, perverse disincentives to work and we do need to try to move to a system where we have lower taxes um, but you know, um, a living wage paid to people so I think that the thrust of government policy on this has got to be right, um, but I'm, I'm you know, alive to the concerns that industry's raised.
0: Mm. And I suppose some of those concerns come in the context of, as you mentioned earlier on, downward price pressures. What, what does the government make of the supermarket price war going on at the moment?
2: It's certainly causing uh, pressure for a number of uh, sectors, but I think as well we've got the difficulties in the eurozone means that the euro is currently weak, and that does, uh, in the case, for instance, of soft fruit and even top fruit, um, lead to quite a bit of pressure uh, competitive pressure from the Netherlands in particular and uh, when it comes to top fruit obviously from France so I think the the uh, sterling euro exchange rate is, is a factor but these things are always short term and in fact in the last few years probably the industry's done quite well by having a <laughs> uh, a relatively um, you know, weak pound against the euro, so um, it does go in cycles, but I do appreciate that it's causing a bit of pressure at the moment.
0: Since hmm. you've got a five-year um, stint as, as Farming Minister, what are your priorities to help the UK fresh produce industry?
2: Well, I'm uh, coming from this sector really passionate about uh, the fresh produce industry, and One of the things I want to do is to make sure that we've got a food and farming strategy that we're working on. We had a meeting last week. Uh, We really want to look at how we can uh, attract new entrants to this industry and make sure that we have more apprenticeships and get more people choosing uh, food and farming as a career choice. Uh, We want to do more by way of technology. We've got our agri-tech strategy that's supporting a number of really innovative projects in horticulture, and we want to do more of that. Uh, so we, we want to look at how we can use technology to enhance our competitiveness and improve plant breeding techniques, for instance. And finally, I'm just interested in, uh, on the market side, both in some sectors, to open up uh, new export markets so that we can uh, sell our produce abroad. Uh, but probably more relevant for the soft fruit industry and top fruit industry is uh, import displacement. So I'd like us to be producing more Uh, of the uh, fresh fruit that we want in this country Uh, and also working with other departments like the department for health to uh, promote um, you know consumer uptake of fruit we know uh, that there's significant health benefits to uh, eating fruit there's a number of initiatives that the department for health are pursuing um, trying to get schools and uh, children in particular to get used to eating more fruits early and uh, I think the um the presentation actually from Ali uh, Kappa in the, uh, in the, in the, in the uh, meeting earlier was, was quite interesting in that regard.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, going back briefly to exports, what um, fruit and vegetable items do you think have most potential to succeed on this front?
2: Well, in, um, I, I, the one in, in the fruit sector uh, where we are doing some exports and where they've doubled since 2010 is in top fruit. So mm-hmm. <clears throat> whereas uh, uh, you know, apples in particular is one area where I think Uh, We're using better varieties now. Uh, They're internationally more competitive. And we're able to, for the first time, start seeing a growth in uh, apple exports. And uh, we're nowhere near self-sufficient in apples. We only produce about a third of what we uh, eat here. But that's up quite significantly on where it was uh, just a decade, 15 years ago and we've seen our exports double since 2010 so I think there are uh, potentially opportunities, particularly when we come to top fruit uh, I think in soft fruit it's going to remain because it's a perishable product and because uh, typically prices here in the UK tend to be stronger than in other um, you know, competitive markets in Europe, it's probably likely to remain predominantly a story of import displacement, but there's been again some good success stories there, we've gone uh, from the low point 20 years ago to uh, being only about 50% self-sufficient in, uh, in strawberries to now back up to 70%. And I think really uh, innovative changes in production techniques, the introduction of tabletop production, the fact that most of it now is uh, grown under protection, uh, has seen some really um, fantastic changes. I mean, apricots has come out of nowhere. No one had even talked or thought that we could grow apricots in this country uh, until a few years ago. and. Uh, just in this last year, we've seen a six-fold increase in apricot production in, in, uh, here in England. So it's, uh, there's some exciting developments going on in the soft fruit sector.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of soft fruit, would you grow GM strawberries on your family farm?
2: Um, we, uh, I think when it comes to GM, uh, we just have to get across this fact that it's, uh, this is a new plant breeding technology. Uh, And I think even before, the point I was trying to make this morning, before you get to genetically modified the idea of taking genes from one species of uh, plant and putting it into another Um, there's actually a lot of other novel technologies um, gene technologies around you know cisgenics for instance and gene editing where you can actually take genes or the dna from genes that are within a species and accelerate plant breeding techniques and to me that's not far removed at all from traditional mutagenesis where you would submit genes to um, radiation for instance to, to get them to mutate uh, it's actually just a much um, a more focused way of getting the characteristics you want but taking those gene characteristics from the same species so I think there's huge potential in that area that I would say stops short of what the public understand by gen- genetic modification uh, but which are enhanced plant breeding techniques that could accelerate some of the correct characteristics you want and I do think that these types of new plant breeding techniques are going to be increasingly important. As we lose crop protection products, uh, we need to get resistance to pests in, in other ways, uh, particularly when it comes to insect pests. Uh, and I think there's, um, there's a lot of opportunity for breeding characteristics that repel pests uh, into the plant so that you don't need to apply pesticides in the first place. And we really shouldn't rule that out.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, finally, George, uh, what are your ambitions in office or in politics?
2: My big focus over the next nine months is really to work on this food and farming plan. But I don't want that plan to be the end, I want it to be the beginning of something. So in that plan we're going to have key milestones, key objectives, uh, key things that we want to deliver both as a government in terms of where we focus our funding and our priorities, but also in terms of the industry, in terms of the work they need to do to attract new people to the industry, create new apprenticeships and also take forward the research and innovation. So... Uh, I would like, it's great to be back in this uh, job. I've been doing it now for two years. Uh, after two years, you really get familiar with some of the issues. And I really want to to, 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 to uh, uh, leap forward in the competitiveness of this industry and, um, and, and really invest in the kind of technology that's going to make us world-beating.
0: Yeah. Okay, George Eustace, thank you very much. All right,
2: okay, thanks very much.
0: And that was DEFRA Farming Minister George Eustace speaking at the Fruit Focus event in Kent. That's all we've got time for today. My thanks to Nina. We'll be back in the near future with more FPJ podcasts. In the meantime, you can keep up to date with all the news from the sector online and in our fortnightly magazine.